Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden. Each day, the world we wake up to looks a little different than the day before. Leaves come and go. Snow comes and goes. Clouds come and go. The physical and visible world outside our windows is in a state of flux at all times. But so is the world that isn't visible to the naked eye. And it is now clear that 2020 will be a year that will be remembered in history, at least in part, as the year something invisible, the COVID-19 virus, swept across the planet. As of the time of this recording, on March 16th at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in New York, There are more than 6,500 deaths. Italy is in a state of paralyzed lockdown. France has banned all family and social gatherings and closed its borders. Restaurants, bars, sports, graduations, and schools across the world are closed and canceled. And Canada, which is only eight miles as the crow flies from my house, announced it will deny entry to anyone who isn't a citizen or permanent resident. Every minute brings a new piece of news. It's disorienting. I wanted to talk about this with someone on the show because I felt ignoring it wasn't right. But I also didn't want to go into a cycle of despair during the conversation either. My guest on this episode is Deborah Eden Tull, a Zen teacher, author, and all-around fantastic person that I really like speaking to. She has been on this show two times before, in episodes 72 and 81, to discuss her teaching and her writing in her fantastic book, Relational Mindfulness, which was released by Wisdom Publications. In this episode... We talk about supporting one another in these turbulent times. She offers a simple and grounding meditation practice that anyone can stop and do. And most importantly, we talk about our towns, our cities, our friendships, both in person and online, that are being rocked so thoroughly right now and testing every fabric of society. Eden and I talk about what we feel we can both reasonably do to build up community and friendships during this time. Something Eden is doing is she's leading free online meditations on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for the foreseeable future. You can find all the information on her website, DebraEdenTall.com. The link directly to her website is in the show notes. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Deborah Eden Tull on staying grounded in these disrupted times. Deborah Eden Tull, welcome back for the third time to Classical Ideas. Hi, Greg. Really happy to be back here with you. So, Eden, for those of you who haven't heard your appearances on past episodes, number 
uh, 72 and 81. Can you introduce yourself uh, just a little bit for the audience? Sure. I'm a Zen meditation and mindfulness teacher. I'm the founder of a nonprofit called Mindful Living Revolution, and I'm the author of a couple of books. The most recent book is called Relational Mindfulness, a handbook for deepening our connection with ourselves, each other, and our planet. And I'll also share that while I live and teach out in the world these days, I spent uh, seven years as a Zen Buddhist monk at a silent monastery and have worked a lot in my practice with um, life's challenges and adversity as spiritual teachers. And so that's, I believe, one of the things we'll get into talking about today. Well, the, the, the context in which we are having this conversation is unavoidable. And so I'm speaking to you from Buffalo, New York, and I am on day one of a five-week school closure across New York State due to the uh, international pandemic from the virus COVID-19. So schools and businesses are closed all over the world, all around me. And there's like this... Um, uh, you talked about the you know hardship a moment ago. So there's like this churn of uncertainty, and it's like wreaking havoc on everything around us. Like the stock market, the Dow just had its worst day uh, in history, like ever, including the Great Depression, I believe. And uh, retirement plans are tanking, and travel is snarled at airports all over the world. It's it's just crazy. And so I've been reading the news all day, and I was really grateful to you that you wanted to have this conversation. Um, so I've been doing okay with keeping my wits about me the last couple of days. Um, but you know, the images of people waiting in lines to like hoard food and other products is causing mass panic across the country. So this is like our context for today. Um, is that sort of like how you see the, the context of the world in which we're living in right now? Yes, this is uh, not a boring moment for humanity, is it? No, it isn't. So, <laughs> so um, as a Zen teacher, I- I'm curious on your thoughts on this because, you know, um, these are sort of like a moment where I feel like you have a lot of wisdom and teachings to offer the world. So um, how do you feel we can stay present with the tremendous uncertainty of this time? Like, why don't we just go ahead and start there? Yes. And just before I respond to that question, Greg, it feels important to say something about the context of this time. Mm. And number one, to just acknowledge the gravity of this period of mass disruption that we're facing. And also to acknowledge that it's hitting different people in very different ways. And so before any conversation about the spiritual teachings that apply to this time and the spiritual opportunity of this time, I think it's important to just acknowledge that some people are uh, home, they've purchased the food they need to be at home and um, rest more over the next number of weeks. And there are other people in the world who have already been hard hit, who are sick and quarantined, who have lost loved ones, or who don't actually have enough money to stock up on food in advance for a few weeks. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that this kind of situation really reveals inequity in the world. And um, if we're to talk about anything spiritual, it's important that we not 
uh, bypass some of the difficult reality that many people are experiencing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And well, and you know, like I, as I've been like looking through the internet today and Twitter here and there, I keep seeing people on Twitter saying like, Oh, I am a restaurant worker and I just got laid off. Or, you know, there's people out there that are already feeling the real world consequences of this, that like, this is like put you on the street kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. For some people, it already is. Already. And it just happened. Yes. And so no doubt this situation is stirring up a tremendous amount of fear and it is a field of absolute uncertainty. Um, None of us know how this is going to unfold. And what tends to happen is uncertainty is a really scary place to be for human beings. Not ultimately, from a spiritual perspective, it's actually uh, freedom. It's the place that we learn through meditation practice to drop us into real and full presence, taking our life moment by moment, being fiercely present in the world. But if that's not the perspective we're coming from, uncertainty can feel really, really scary. It's most scary to the human ego, and we all have ego. So ego tends to try to avoid uncertainty and the unknown as much as it can, and it does that by going into story, like grabbing onto a story rather than being in empty space, the unknown. The story that it tends to grab is on one side of the duality, either absolute terror. So yes, this is scary, but if we grab onto a story, we can go to Armageddon, you know, to an absolute um, depiction of a really, uh, a a depiction that creates even more suffering than is true in this moment. Mm. Or we can go to the other side from ego. We can grab onto the story that says, ah, business as usual, people are overreacting, this isn't so bad. The point is, The human conditioned mind loves to go to conclusion and to hold on to story, to give it something to grasp instead of being in the openness and the emptiness of the unknown. You with me? Absolutely. So this experience is very much like collectively being asked to take a walk in the dark when we're really used to, especially on planet Earth right now, with the overlighting of the planet, having the lights on all the time so Mm. that we can see where we're going, so that we can feed the illusion of control, the illusion that we have some control over life, um, so that we can uh, maintain identity and maintain uh, set ways, habitual ways of being. And right now, so much of that has been taken away, even just the collective daily habit patterns of how people go to work and do their shopping and interact with one another. Everyone's changed their plans. So it's like the rug's been pulled out from under us collectively, and there's a real unknown. So the first encouragement I want to offer is for people to really see this as an invitation as human beings to stay present with the unknown, to ground ourselves. Um, I'm literally placing my feet on the ground and letting myself feel the earth beneath me and to actively bring ourselves back to center as much as we can, unhooking from those stories, the narrative that takes us to one of those extremes, business as usual or absolute terror, uh, so that we can be wise, present, and skillful with the unfolding of all of this. 
Makes so, sense. Yeah. So you went into, I know that you went out a little bit today into the world. Like, were there any behaviors that you were particularly noticing among the people in your town today as you were sort of looking around and getting a sense of this new reality that we find ourselves in? You know, I'll be honest. Uh, first, I'm very lucky in that I live in a small town at the edge of a vast wilderness on a creek. It's pretty peaceful right here. But I went into uh, our version of the city, which is Asheville, North Carolina, very small city. (laughs) And to tell you the truth, I was much more aware of creative response and creative resourcefulness that I'm seeing unfold. Like one of the markets where we shop has uh, sent out a posting that instead of people coming to shop now, they can place their order and have a curbside pickup so that things are kept safe. I thought that was a really creative response or um, learning a lot of ways that people are sharing with their neighbors and just being especially kind with one another, having deeper conversations uh, with people than they're used to when they're in their busy mode. So I didn't see that much out where we are, but I have a lot of family and kin in New York and in Los Angeles Northern California, and I've heard plenty of stories of people going into a pretty intense fear-based mentality. Yeah? Yeah. Have you been in touch with any um, of your... I know that you practiced Zen for a long time in Los Angeles. Do you have any friends in other cities that you've been talking to whose uh, experiences may differ from you as far as like Asheville versus LA or versus New York? Like, What are you hearing from other places? You know... Even though I had a peaceful experience today, uh, by the way, I went out very early in the morning. Mm. I've heard plenty of stories of people going into shops and having everything gone from the shelves and people hoarding toilet paper and whatnot. Yes, there's a lot of collective fear being stirred up right now. And uh, equally, though, I've heard about creative resourcefulness that's happening. And I think that's something we really need to open our eyes to in this time. Excellent. So, you know, just getting to know you over the past couple of years, um, I've seen you as sort of like a deep advocate of meditation and mindfulness practices. And you mentioned earlier your book, Relational Mindfulness, which we've talked about before on episode 72. Um, So like when this world is moving along at like a normal breakneck speed, like you know, like our normal day-to-day lives, whenever there is no COVID-19 pandemic, whenever things are just fast and normal, people may find spirituality um, practices to be something that they think about. Maybe they try once or twice, but then their busy lives take over again, and then they sort of get out of it. I know that's what happens to me fairly often. I'll get into something, I'll try it for a while, and then life will take over, and then something gets pushed aside. But now we're like sort of forced to pause you know, like the pause button has very much been pushed on our society in many ways. And today I was watching my, my, my daughter. She's off school for five weeks and she's six years old. And today she just drew pictures of the same dress for three hours. <laughs> and she colored and decorated every dress completely differently than the dress before it. And I was just, I just sat there and I just watched her do this. And I was like, so this is what happens when you just sort of let things happen, when there's a pause and you just kind of have to see how it goes. And to me, that was like an opportunity for her. I didn't see it as, 
like a negative. I saw her as expressing pure creativity just in the moment, just because she could. And so, yeah, you know, it's like this pause button. If we reframe it a little bit, maybe there's some opportunity in there. Um, So what do you see as the opportunity of this time? And you can add some spirituality elements to it if you want, like some spiritual opportunities or just some other opportunities. Yeah, yeah, there's a a lot. Uh, That's such a great question, Greg. So first I would say that the significance of being asked to collectively pause right now is huge because one of the things we can note about um, the modern world is that it's going at a fast pace, faster and faster and faster. The story of not enough time is one of the most pervasive stories in our culture. People tend to make choices that are out of touch with their bodies, not sustainable, uh, not the most kind and uh, beneficial to the whole choices when we're just being driven by the story of the glamorization of busyness and not enough time. And so to be uh, required to pause collectively has tremendous significance. Uh, in spiritual practice, we talk about the mindful pause or the sacred pause really being the essence of practice. And there's a couple things I want to say about that. Number one, it's important for people to pause during this time and to be willing. Again, I'm going to go back to being with uncertainty, to feel our feelings about this, and to be willing to stay present and cultivate presence, even in a field that feels like chaos. It is possible to find stillness. Stillness is our birthright. We could use peace as another word for that. It's actually much easier than people think to find that place. Peace is always available. It's always here in the way of, a spacious awareness that is beyond our busy thinking cognitive mind, but we're generally giving all of our attention to the busy thinking cognitive mind, the conditioned mind, the mind of stories and narrative. So when we have an invitation to collectively pause, I would say for those people who are willing, let's make this a time to deepen your spiritual practice, to wake up more, to slowing down and being present with the unfolding of life By the way, then, when things begin to um, move beyond this phase of disruption, you will have, you will be able to meet life from a a new place, a new perspective. Along those lines, you know, one of the opportunities is that a lot of people don't get to nourish the inner world as much as is needed when they're just going along in uh, busy everyday life. And I do have a hope that people who are interested in it will uh, give some more time and space for nourishing the inner world right now. One of the teachings in Buddhism that's pretty basic and uh, has always captivated me is that meditation invites us to live acknowledging that we have one foot planted in the relative world and one foot planted in the absolute We could think of the relative as um, all the operations of our society, our social expectations, our material world, uh, our sort of binary belief systems, things of that nature. They're a part of life, but they're not all of life. The absolute realm is also something that we live in, and if we disconnect from it or pretend we don't, 
then we don't really feel the nourishment that the soul needs. We really can't find genuine happiness or genuine well-being. It's not possible. Uh, likewise, if we just pretend that we live in the absolute world and try to cut off the relative, we're going to be equally confused. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I see this as a really interesting opportunity because our relative world and our sort of ordinary societal reality has just become so disrupted. It's become a bit turned upside down that there's actually an opening now for people to say, okay, wow, when the sort of relative world that I tend to rely on gets so disrupted, what is available to me that is so much more vast? What quality of awareness helps me to stay present and dropped into peace, even when things are moving uh, in ways that I don't know what's going to happen next? Mm -hmm. um, there's an opportunity for people to really, really drop into the radical presence the, the radical practice of presence. Okay. Well, I have a question to follow up on that. Um, sure. I was chatting with my friend Keith the other day. Hi, Keith. And he is a teacher also. So he's a teacher. I'm a teacher. We talk about teaching a lot. So Keith is off work like me for the next several weeks. And he was telling me how he sort of like thrives on uh, his job. Like it gives him so much. And now he doesn't have it for a while. And he asked me the other day, uh, he's like, what, what podcast episodes should I listen to as far as like learning about meditation? He's a total, uh, he's very curious, but he's also totally new at it. Maybe give him, is there like an exercise that you can describe for a moment about an intro level to nourishing that inner world for somebody who may have just lost their daily routine? Absolutely. Yeah. And let's, um, really start with the basic practice. You were talking about the pause a few minutes ago. So there's an acronym used in mindfulness, which is STOP. And everyone can do this as they're listening right now. The S is for stop. Just stop whatever you're doing. We spend so much time doing and in activity and less time in stillness and just being. So to stop, the T is for take a few conscious breaths. And if everyone can do that right now, just feeling the air as it enters your body, fills your body, and leaves your body. And while you're paying attention to your breath, begin observing. The O is for observe. First, just noticing what's in your mind. No judgment needed, just curiosity and openness, noticing the pace and quality of your mind. You can observe and bring awareness to how you're feeling. And maybe also notice where in your body you're feeling that feeling and in this way whether we're present to easeful feelings or difficult feelings we begin to learn how to really be with them and how to allow uh, feeling emotion energy in motion to move through us and as you take in another 
conscious breath. Just notice what's happening in your body a little more subtly. Noticing temperature, sensation, the touch of air on your skin. And then the P is for proceed. So what I would say is in just taking a pause like that, stopping, as many times in a day as we can, we begin to become more present to our ordinary uh, and extraordinary experience of being human. We have more of an ability to step back from being caught in something, like if I'm caught in a gnarly story in my mind and I pause and begin to become more aware of it, I have some space to step back. And when we go into formal sitting meditation or walking meditation, we're really going even deeper and then becoming aware of awareness itself. It's kind of like, Greg, people so often identify with their thoughts, their emotions, the momentum of all of that as who they are. Mm -hmm. They forget that there's a much larger experience of self, a much more spacious and interconnected and I would say calm, even when there's a lot going on, experience of self. And that's something so many people could benefit from right now. Yeah? Absolutely. You know, and thank you for that, by the way. That was wonderful. Sure. And um, we talked, if, uh, when we started off the conversation, you brought up a really important point, that some people right now have a lot more opportunity to, uh, they're going to be fine through this. But there's a lot of people who are going to experience a lot of pain and upheaval in their lives. And so I see that maybe there's some opportunity for the people who are going to be okay to maybe do some uh, some community-oriented things to maybe, um, you know, if we could all, like, if there's some kind of, like, safety net that we can create for the people who aren't, like, who who stand to lose a lot... Um, is there any opportunity within that as well for us to grow as communities through this challenging um, experience? I love that question. I love it. And there's a couple things I want to say about it. One, that the invitation is to meet this period of time, any time when there's disruption, adversity, and the potential to go into fear and a real contraction. Instead, to meet it with a balanced mind, an open heart, uh, the spirit of generosity. And that means generosity both to oneself, taking really good, solid, devoted care of oneself through this experience that can feel chaotic. And equally, generosity towards others. Uh, and I've already heard such neat examples of that. You know, everything from the basketball player, Zion Williamson, um, offering to pay the salary for a whole month of um, New Orleans arena workers who are, will be out of work, uh, to someone who just posted on Facebook today about 
um, posting kind notes in all of their neighbors' mailboxes mm-hmm. saying, if any of you need support, if you need help with errands, if you need help with anything, you know, I'm here. Just just reaching out and being available, an expression of kindness that's very accessible to us all is to be good listeners during this time. You know, I'm passionate about relational mindfulness, and there's not one human being who doesn't uh, need to be listened to and enjoying the opportunity of real listening exchanges, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when people are too busy, they don't uh, have. But in the bigger picture, what you're asking is huge because so many holes in our system, so many places of absolute inequity are being illuminated, revealed by this situation, right? Mm-hmm. As is the web of interconnection is completely illuminated. People who sometimes are a bit, um, well, I'll talk about psychic numbing in a minute, but who are a bit less aware of the web of interconnection or just aware of it as a concept are seeing like, oh, wow, that store closes. Oh, all of the janitors in that store out of work. Uh, All of the people who are now home with kids can't do the things that they need to do and need help. (laughs) All the people who can't afford groceries. You you with me? Yeah, absolutely. Really opening our eyes to that web. And back to the the notion I just mentioned of psychic numbing. One of the things that inspires me about what's going on right now is that there tends to be sort of a backdrop of psychic numbing in our culture. Uh, It's very popular in the dominant paradigm to just kind of, there's so much going on in our world. There's so much difficulty. It's too much. I'm going to sort of quietly numb out uh, to it or quietly turn away from it. And this is a situation in a period of time where we are all being asked to step it up. We're being asked to open our eyes, to wake up, to to act on behalf of the whole, (laughs) um, to show up to show up fully, and that means going beyond the numb state. So one of the reactions to this, all this churning and the uncertainty and the upheaval is um, possibly fear, panic. Yep, yep. Uh, What is the alternative to being afraid right now? Yeah, thank you for, for that question. You know, as a Dharma teacher, I hear from so many people who have been hit by fear and are dealing with really intense anxiety and panic. And as none of us know how this is going to unfold, and there might be news tomorrow or the next day that really, really particularly triggers a certain individual. So the first thing I want to share is that um, it's really important to not bypass fear by trying to pretend we're not feeling it or push it away, which again goes back to numbing. That's one of the ways people can push away fear is by numbing out. Or to go to the other side and put oil on the fire. Um, There's a lot of that going on. People having kind of toxic conversations with one another, uh, fear-based conversations. Uh, people turning on the news first thing in the morning uh, before they're grounded or centered. And in a little bit, we can talk about sort of energetic uh, hygiene during this time. But there's so many ways that we can exacerbate fear and really intensify those fear stories that Mm -hmm. are part of the collective. So number one, I want to remind people that 
you know, we all have a responsibility uh, to one another and to the collective field of consciousness. This could be an incredible time of together making a shift, a choice to move beyond fear and to access more compassion and courage. What that looks like is learning how to turn towards and be with the part of us who's afraid, but not be that part or act out of that part. So as an example, um, we might notice that there's a lot of fear being stirred in our body and our mind. We might pause as I invited the stop practice a few minutes ago and just notice how the fear is impacting us. Uh, notice how the fear feels in our body. Begin to gently take a step back and get a sense of a very afraid part of us that is not the entirety of us, of who we are. Are you with me so far? I am, yes. And from that place, and this is, a, this is core to spiritual practice, we acknowledge, oh, fear is a part of me, but it is not all of me or who I actually am. It's not my essence. So from more the place of essence, we can turn towards, and just like uh, the fear, we're a fearful child or a really good friend who was feeling terror or anxiety, we can be with that part. So not be the fear, but be with the fear. Yeah, well, and something that's really jumping out at me is that right now so many of us are not together. We're apart. So all of our friendships are right now, since we're being encouraged to like be socially distant, our friendships are through screens. You know what I mean? Yes. So that is an extended layer of challenge because when your friendships are through screens right now, it's almost hard to be there effectively for each other because so much tone and nuance is lost in communication whenever it's not together, whenever it's through words on a little device. Do you know what I mean? Well, I hear you. And um, I never thought I would say this as a teacher of relational mindfulness, but <laughs> Probably for about the past five years, I've been uh, teaching. I teach both in-person retreats and working online a lot and working with um, my students and clients on the phone a lot. And my experience is that the field of shared presence uh, goes beyond needing to be face-to-face -face with one another. What's important is the quality of presence we drop into so I can guide a group of people online, a huge group of people, and there's still an absolute sense of intimacy and real connection and down-to-earthness and togetherness in the quality of conversation that happens. But it happens through our willingness to be present with one another, even if it's just a phone call. How are you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, well one other thing I'll say about that, it's just I also hope that while we are spending a lot of time engaging through phone and screen that people will uh, be aware of not spending too much time staring into a screen. That's mm. not going to be helpful during this time when we need uh, extra good sleep and strong immune systems. <laughs> yeah, well, and earlier I was feeling super down and I realized that I had been at my computer writing for like five hours 
Yeah. And I went outside in my yard and it was nice and cold, but I was in shorts, flip-flops, and a t-shirt. And I just like stared at the sky for a while because the clouds were super nice. And I felt so much better. Yes. And I was like, the yes. world is still here. <laughs> I'm still That's here. It. You took a pause from the, the relative world and the um, focus on screen and just went outside to get in touch with the larger field of interconnection, which is always here for you to rest into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, um, so I want to talk about self-care a little bit, too. Um, so I am supposed to run a marathon in Buffalo at the end of May. It's up in the air. I'm supposed to run an ultra marathon in Niagara Falls, Ontario in June. It's up in the air. But the other day, um, I ran and I did 13 miles as a training run as normal. And the streets were like so empty. And I was just out there doing my thing anyway. And I had to do it. I had to get out of the house, you know, yeah. and I had to take care of myself. I had to get out of my house and I had to do my run. And that was the only thing that I had to do. So I have my methods of staying grounded and taking care of myself. Um, how are you encouraging your students, your fellow Zennies, um, other contemplative people that you know to pursue self-care um, for themselves and their communities? Yeah. That phrase, fellow zennies, makes me laugh. Um, for first, I want to just set the framework by uh, sharing this quote by Rilke, the poet, that has always inspired me and that is important here. And so he's speaking of this quality of care in the context of relationship between two people, but I'm going to speak about it in relationship with ourselves, with one another, with the collective. And it's just the quote, I hold this to be the highest task for a bond between two people, that each protects the solitude of the other. And solitude, in this case, refers to that each protects the peace, the well-being. Uh, as a spiritual practitioner, I'm going to use the word center of the other. So self-care begins with being willing to be fierce in our commitment to staying centered in this time. And that's an inquiry for each and every person. What is required for you to stay centered, to not get knocked off into uh, a million unhelpful stories, into um, a whacked out nervous system, into depletion? Maintaining one center is the kindest thing that we can do for ourselves and also supporting those you're with in um, maintaining center, uh, creating a field of peace. You know, I'm really, really lucky to be um, here in this time of um, everyone needing to be home with my husband, uh, who's an incredible support system. We both have deep practices. We have a lot of practice, formal and informal, going on in our home in our space every day. We have a deep connection to the natural world that's widely available around us. But I have relatives living in the city who for them staying at home right now means uh, not being able to get out too much to go to the places that light them up and remind them of the deep green. Y you with me? Yeah, totally. 
And so to start with underlining that statement, though, whatever is required for each and every one of us to maintain center, to not meet this already difficult time with more adversity, with more um, upset, because misery loves company. And it's very easy if someone's going to get caught in drama to um, put that onto someone else, uh, to invite someone into a fear-based or toxic conversation. So I would say it all starts with maintaining center. Some of the things that support us with that, number one, a daily meditation practice. I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be here. I just don't think I would have made it. Being human is already difficult uh, enough, even in times that are beyond this level of disruption. That's a but pretty, for me, yeah, that's a pretty real thing to say. <laughs> it, it is, it is. Uh, meditation is, has been, just the best thing that ever happened to me. And I've been meditating for a really long time, but I I'm, uh, recommend those who have a practice to go deeper and maybe up the amount that you're meditating right now. And if you're new to practice, there are so many recorded meditations, uh, so many ways, even through apps that you can learn. I'm going to be offering a free every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 noon Eastern time, live guided meditation and time for community to get together and kind of ground ourselves and have a real down-to-earth discussion about what's going on. Anyone who's listening is welcome to join that. I'm going to read this quote from um, my book on relational mindfulness because it really relates to this. And then I'll, I'm happy to speak more about specific ways to practice self-care. But in this part of the book, I say, imagine if, as young people, our parents had sat us down and said to us some version of this. Welcome to this incredible and sobering journey called life. In this lifetime, you are going to experience more love and beauty than you could possibly imagine. And you will also experience more pain and suffering than you think you can bear. Given this reality, let us prepare you with as much awareness, wisdom, courage, resilience, and self-compassion as you are going to need for this journey. You will experience all of it. And so let us prepare you with the ability to see clearly and listen deeply as you navigate this journey called life. You have what it takes to meet whatever life brings you. Your unique contribution matters here, and you are not alone. Mm. What page is that on? You know, I couldn't tell you. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> because I read it. And, well, I'm actually looking across the room at your book right now. It's right over there. And you just calmed me down a whole lot. Well, I'm glad. That that quote stood out to me today in the context of this, uh, this crisis. But I do want to go ahead and share some specific things people can do. And... Um, one is, beyond just meditating, <laughs> there's a great Zen teaching of chop wood, carry water. Mm. And it kind of points to the invitation of life, of our responsibilities, of the, the invitations in ordinary, everyday life to bring our full attention and care to that which is right in front of us. So when the larger context is smooth and easy, we chop wood, carry water. 
when there's great adversity going on in the world, we chop wood, carry water. We do what is in front of us with care. And I really encourage people to um, let your daily activities, whether you're lucky enough to, let's say, have a garden to work in to Mm. really ground you, one of my favorite activities, or whether you live in a city and you're um, writing on a screen, to do so with full presence, to take breaks in between, to pause and to practice um, mindful awareness, to also make sure that you're really taking good care of your body. So you mentioned needing to go out on that run, whatever it is for people now. Uh, move some of this energy, some of this emotion through your body. I have a daily dance practice. It brings so much joy and fire to my life. It helps me to move certain things through that really need uh, in the moment (laughs) body expression. Yeah? Yeah. Um, Also to really know who your allies are. And there might be people in your life who You actually need to set some boundaries with right now who um, you notice want to draw you into unhelpful conversations. Don't do it. Don't have them now. Uh, I would say we're all really needed to be as grounded and centered as we can right now. And those people who are your allies, who you can have good heart-to-heart, connected, listening conversations with, make sure you're making time and space for that. It's really important. Yeah. So what if somebody is talking to like their best friend and their best friend whom they love very, very dearly is like really distraught? What can this friend do to help, you know, sort of bring their best friend back from this brink of despair? Like what it's like, is there any way that you can like just be like a a better friend to your person who really needs you right now instead of just being like, ah, we can't talk about that right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, The first thing is absolutely don't say we can't talk about that right now. (laughs) If someone is really distraught um, and really upset. Um, So in a moment, I'll bring a little discernment to the difference between what I'm about to say and conscious boundaries. But here's the thing. In most situations, what people really need is to be met with compassion, just the energetic feeling of compassion. What people really need is to be listened to. And sometimes, often, what people get instead is, oh gosh, I'm listening to my friend and their pain is making me so uncomfortable that I'm going to try to fix and solve and change their situation. Mm. I'm going to try to come up with a solution to what they're talking about. I'm going to give them a cookie and just say, let this uh, lighten you up. I'm going to try to change their experience rather than just listening and really being there with them and feeling with that person. That's compassionate. And so to hold space... Uh, when you're well-resourced for that kind of conversation. To go back to what I was saying earlier, when there are times that you're not well-resourced and that someone is just going into a sort of tirade of doom and gloom story and you're noticing it impact your nervous system, then what might be compassionate is something like, you know, I really do want to spend time talking with you and I really do want to listen But right now, I'm not feeling well-resourced enough for this kind of um, doom and gloom. 
conversation or right now I'm feeling like the stuff that you're talking to me about is something I need to be more centered before I go into with you or you can even just set a conscious boundary saying like hey I'm doing my best to stay centered right now so I I really want to be able to be present for you when you need me but I cannot listen to that quality of um conditioning right now (laughs) Mm, that's a really nice that's a really nice spectrum of options as well yeah you know it's not like shutting it down but it's not like just going along for this ride of despair either it's a nice spectrum of options that people can choose based on how they're feeling in any given moment yes and the more someone kind of begins to learn the art of listening and i go a lot into that in relational mindfulness you get a sense when someone's talking to you are they just going into conditioned story and wanting me to join their fear-based story? Or is they, are they in a place where they're actually sharing something that they really need witnessing for and compassion for? There's a difference. It's a different energetic tone in how people speak. And sometimes when people have come to me and they're just lost in story, I'll just say something like... Uh, what are you present to right now as you share this all with me? Or what are you noticing in your body right now while you talk about this? And that kind of drops them out of their mind where they're stuck in this narrative down into something bigger, Mm. you know? Yeah, totally. Well, Eden, I know you mentioned a little bit ago that you're doing some online guided meditations in the coming days. Tell me more about that when they are what time they are how people can find them how people can get engaged with you and what you're doing during this uh, challenging time in our society sure yeah a dharma student reached out to me a couple of weeks ago really when this was starting um but people were still beginning to get nervous and she said hey if i organized it for you would you be willing to to do some some live free guided meditations. And I said, of course, uh, let's open it up to the community. And it's been amazing at how many people um, need and want this right now. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, online, 12 noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, there's a guided meditation, followed by just a open space for people's questions, um, for helping people to work with fears, for helping people to use this time as an actual opportunity for transformation, which it is. And beyond that, um, I can name a few other neat offerings this weekend just for women. On uh, Saturday for the Equinox, I'll be offering something about staying present in the presence of uncertainty And that's going to be about both meditation and conscious movement. So people are invited to that. And I have an online course that's a month long coming up in April. And it's bizarre. We filmed this course last summer. And I first was inspired about it because I think it's a topic human beings just all need. And it also is incredibly helpful (laughs) during this bizarre disruption that we're in so it's called deep time slowing down as a revolutionary act what is the uh website for your tuesday and thursday 
Everything can be found on my website, DebraEdenTull.com. And uh, there's a link to Zoom for the free meditations, and there's links to everything else. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. that is, um, I'm going to see if I can get my friend Keith to join me for a Tuesday and Thursday meditation. Would love to have you there. You know, I again, I'm, I'm really excited by the creative resourcefulness that I'm seeing right now by people coming up with fresh ways of connecting. And uh, what I see in it is an opening for deeper conversations, uh, an opening for deep listening within and out. And deep listening is really the essence of meditation practice. And also in the context of our world, you know, we can acknowledge that um, this is likely not going to be the only global crisis we face in coming years, where this is the age of global uncertainty. And so how we meet this, I think, is really important in terms of learning to meet the larger global uncertainty that we face. So again, I'm really an advocate for people finding their center, for supporting one another, to find... Um, the, I'm going to use the word spaciousness within that a meditation practice offers, and then to bring that into a willingness to respond consciously rather than through reactivity and fear to what's going on. Well, Eden, this has been a wonderful hour for me. I feel uh, significantly better than I did an hour ago. Um, and so I am really grateful to you for coming on this show for the third time to talk about this stuff. And I'm excited to uh, join maybe a couple of my guided meditations on Tuesday and Thursday. How long is that course running for? Well, that is unknown. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy as a teacher to go with the flow right now and to really... Uh, you know, my commitment is to uh, supporting human beings in every way that I can. And so it'll go for as long as it's needed. Yeah. That's wonderful to hear. Well, um, everybody also should check out your book, Relational Mindfulness, from Wisdom Publications, my friends over there. And so thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, for the record, if everybody's listening to this, we recorded this on March 16th, 2020. So. It will be coming out on March 17th. Thank you so much, Craig. As always, I really enjoy getting to talk with you. You are, you. you are so welcome. Classical Ideas is produced by me, Greg Soden. Music on Classical Ideas is composed and performed by Derek Strybig. You can find his music at www.wearewarmmusic.com. If you like this show, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email me at classicalideas at outlook.com or find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash classicalideaspodcast. Thanks so much for listening.